Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tipsy Ghosts. We're your tipsy hosts, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. Hey guys. <laughs> Hi. I had to switch it up for a second. Yes, I appreciate Lindsay the was pause. mocking me. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that they have identified a new reptile that they're kind of associating with a plesiosaur? Ooh. I did not no. know. Mm, they have. It's it's sciency name uh-huh. translates to snaky crocodile face. <laughs> that is such a clever scientific name. Did a five year old make that up? It, I don't know, but it reminds me of the time where um, the British government let the internet suggest a name for their new <laughs> polar research ship and named it Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> I did not know about this. There's an actual, like, ship named Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> I would take a ride on that ship. That sounds like something I would name it. <laughs> yes. It would. <laughs> 100%. I think they also did, uh, like, a, something in space, like a space station. Just named something dumb, too. Space or space station. <laughs> that is my level of clever. <laughs> the same name repeated with a Mick in front of it. It's the SpaceX uh, Starlink internet satellite is Dishy McFlatface. Oh, it was so close. <laughs> they got the Mick and they got the E. <laughs> Dishy McFlatface. Bodie McBoatface and the <laughs> snaky crocodile face. And Dishy McFlatface. <laughs> our ancestors, our future people are going to be so proud of us. They're going to be like, what was with this generation? We're like, listen. <laughs> If you've lived through the past two years like we have, you'd get it. This is what helps us cope, okay? How did I not know about these names? (laughs) (laughs) And those things always pop up on my newsfeed. It's like they just understand. Sarah is tickled pink at this. (laughs) This has made my day. Perhaps weak. I don't know. Does she make flat face? (laughs) (laughs) Accurate. Sounds like something you would call somebody, like, as a mean name in junior high. <laughs> somebody was called my flat face. <laughs> it's sparking, like, a very specific memory in my mind about uh-huh. um, Drop Dead Fred. Did you guys ever see that movie? Uh-huh. No. Well, later on, you've got to Google the scene where he smashes his head into the refrigerator and he pulls it out. <laughs> and it's like... He's got a flat face. He's got this big-ass flat head. He's like, no, not my head. <laughs> Let's just squish it back in. It's ridiculous because it was like, you know, pre-really good um, CGI. Graphics. Yeah, graphics. So it kind of looks like claymation just added onto his face. Anyways, it's a facey McFlatface. <laughs> I'm so glad we talked about this cute things. The world we live in. Yeah, we needed something uh, nice and yeah. light. Before we get into something dark and terrible. Ugh. Those are two accurate words. All right. So we are doing a two-parter episode here. This is going to be part one, so make sure you tune in next week to catch part two about one of the most infamous serial killers in the U.S. Anybody want to take a guess? We already know the answer. I know. I'm giving them pause for effect. <laughs> okay. You guys They guess? also clicked on the title, so. So you already know it's Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> We just spoiled Lindsay's uh, dramatic effect. Yep, you did. There was no dramatic effect. It's okay. You want them to close your eyes before you click on the title (laughs) so you don't know. Go back 10 seconds. (laughs) We are going to talk about Jeffrey Dahmer. I am going to go ahead and throw up every single trigger warning that is possible for this story because (laughs) it's very graphic. Yeah. Even if you know the story, I feel like there's just so much detail that goes into it. It's pretty horrific. 
So lots of graphic um, warnings here. We're going to talk about body mutilation. We're going to talk about um, necrophilia. Necrophilia. We're going to talk about child death. Cannibalism. We're going to talk about cannibalism. All the things. Pretty much everything. Everything you can think of that's absolutely terrible. Torture. And horrific. Miscovered in this story. You probably know who Jeffrey Dahmer is, but just a warning. This is going to get graphic. So It is. And I thought, I don't know. I guess I didn't think I was an expert, but I thought that I knew kind of the basics, but I learned so much about him and right. things and <laughs> him and things just, and the story and all the details. Yeah. It's a lot more than what I thought it was. Yeah. And, and also keep in mind that, you know, we deal with things like this um, through laughter. So if you hear us laughing, we definitely are not laughing at any of the events that took place or the victims. Um, but we do laugh to cope with some of the more traumatic things that we have to deal with so mm-hmm. but if you've been listening to us you know this you know this <clears throat> all right so this is gonna be a long one so let's just go ahead and get into it let's talk about baby, Jeffrey Dahmer baby Dahmer Ooh, okay J Doms no he doesn't get a nickname Dahmer <laughs> yes Every that's how we're gonna, Dahmer <laughs> like damn it Dahmer monster face <laughs> okay monster Mc, monster face monster Mc. Dahmer face. Dahmer McMonster face. <gasps> there it is. Dahmer McMonster we got face. There. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. It is not. <laughs> Sarah's like, this is a stroke of genius humor. I thought it was amazing and it fits him. All right. Jeffrey Dahmer was born May 21st in 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. His mother, Joyce, was a teletype machine instructor. And his uh, I thought you were going to say teletubby. <laughs> In the 60s. She was before her time. <laughs> she was the basis for the teletubbies. Tubby McTub face. <laughs> Stop it, I'm shaking the whole table. We are two sentences in. <laughs> Not even. <clears throat> okay. One and a half. We have uh, a lot of pages. I know. She was a machine <laughs> instructor. We'll just okay. go with machine instructor. His father, Lionel, was a research chemist. Some say that he was deprived of attention as an infant, but others say that he was actually doted on by both parents, but that his mother was known to be tense and sort of greedy for attention herself, as well as argumentative with her husband and neighbors. So, I don't know. Maybe not the most pleasant person to be around. Okay. Got it. Regardless, he had been an energetic and happy child, but became notably subdued after a double hernia surgery just before he turned four. So as Dolmer entered first grade, Lionel was away from the home due to his studies. And when he was home, Joyce, who was a hypochondriac that suffered from depression, demanded constant attention. So she typically had a complaint of some kind and spent much of her time in bed and even attempted suicide at one time. Dahmer later claimed that because of this, neither parent really devoted much time or attention to him. And at that at the time, he felt, quote, unsure of the solidarity of the family, end quote, recalling extreme tension and numerous arguments between his parents. Okay. At elementary school, he was regarded as a quiet and timid child. They moved to Doylestown, Ohio in 1966. When his little brother was born, Dahmer was able to pick out the name, naming him David, which would you guys ever let your child pick out your other child's name? If it was an appropriate name. 
Not Bodie McBoatface. No. But if they said, like, David, I'd be like, sure, that's a good name. <clears throat> um, no, I wouldn't. Depends on how old my child is, and it depends on how good of a name it is. I tried to let my kids pick the cat's names, and they were Shark Boy and Lava Girl. So um, <laughs> we ended up changing them to Scarlet and Oliver. So I don't think I So David trust was them a good name. <laughs> kid name. Dahmer had an early interest in dead animals, likely beginning when he saw Lionel removing animal bones from beneath the house. I don't know what the animal was, <laughs> but it had bones. Okay. Probably, I don't know, like a, a rat that kind a raccoon that died. I don't know. Got it. It was dead, and it was just bones at that point. So according to his father, he was oddly thrilled by the sounds the bones made and quickly became preoccupied with animal bones, calling them his fiddlesticks. <laughs> That's a weird name. He would occasionally search beneath and around the house for additional bones, and he also explored the bodies of living animals to discover where their bones were located. Essentially, he's just fascinating with anatomy, bones and anatomy. Okay. In 1968, the family moved to Bath Township in Summit County, Ohio, to a house located on an acre and a half of land with a small hut just a short walk from the house. Okay. And this is where Dahmer began collecting large insects like dragonflies and moths and the skeletons of small animals like chipmunks and squirrels. Some of the remains were even preserved in jars of formaldehyde. I don't know where he got formaldehyde. I was just going to say, but what? Maybe hmm. dad. Maybe dad. A couple of years go by, and the family's having chicken for dinner when Dahmer asks Lionel, what would happen if chicken bones were placed in bleach? Huh. Mm. So Lionel's a scientist, and he was like, oh, my gosh, my son has an interest in science. This is incredible. And he demonstrated how to safely bleach and preserve animal bones. Dahmer would later incorporate these techniques into his bone collecting and it was at this time that he also began collecting dead animals, like roadkill, that he would dissect and bury beside the hut, with skulls occasionally placed on makeshift crosses. Okay, got it. One friend later said that Dahmer had explained to him that he was curious as to how animals, quote, fit together. For a disturbing example, in 1975, he decapitated the carcass of a dog before nailing the body to a tree and impaling the skull on a stick behind his house. Oh, hate that. He hate needs it. therapy. <laughs> yeah. He was kind of an outcast in high school, um, had his friends, but he had begun drinking alcohol by the age of 14. Jeez. And he drank at all hours of the day, including during school. Oh, great. Cool. When another student asked why he was drinking during a morning history class, he simply said that it was his medicine. Hmm. By the time he reached puberty, Dahmer discovered he was gay, although he did not tell his parents at first. In his early teens, he had a brief relationship with another teenage boy. He later said he began fantasizing about dominating and controlling a completely submissive male partner in his early to mid-teens. His fantasies gradually evolved to his focusing on the chest or torsos, eventually turning into fantasies about dissection. And this is at, like, teenager age, so young to Yikes. be thinking about at the very least dissection. I know that boys fantasize about things. Sure. Whatever they want to fantasize about is fine, but dissection is a lot. Uh, yeah. So when he was around 16, he found a neighborhood jogger particularly attractive 
and had desires to render him unconscious and then make sexual use of his body. He went so far as to hide behind a bush uh, along the jogger's normal path and wait for him to come by so that he could act on his desires. But in a twist of fate, the jogger never came by that day, so he never got to act on those desires. His school peers knew him as somewhat of a class clown who often staged pranks, which became known as doing a dahmer. So catchy. That phrase is not going to age well. It. I don't think it will. No. <laughs> uh, these these pranks include bleating, like a uh, sheep, like what a sheep or a, a goat. <laughs> that was terrible. Is that what a, sh- a sheep <laughs> does? Bah. Okay, yeah, that was bleating. Bye is. Bleeding? Bleeding. I never knew. He also liked to fake seizures or fake cerebral palsy at school and local stores. Pseudo seizures. Those were his idea of fun. How do you fake cerebral palsy? I have no idea. I think think he just made fun of it. And yes. If you have seen the show, Dahmer, on, on Netflix, now I know it's not like a true documentary, but there is a scene where he is... Pretending to have CP. Mm. Okay. So curiously, on occasion, he would perform these pranks for money and then use that money to purchase alcohol. So, which my question is, who would pay him He's to an do actor. these things? An actor. Actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. He lives the theater. <laughs> theater. <laughs> By 1977, Dahmer is 17. His grades have slipped. So his parents hired a private tutor, but it didn't really help. Lionel and Joyce continued to fight, and when Lionel found out that she had had an affair, they decided to get a divorce. In May of 1978, Dahmer graduated from high school. Um, His dad had moved out by this time. He was living in a motel. I think by this time he had uh, another relationship. And that spring, the divorce was finally finalized, and Joyce got custody of David, and they moved back to Wisconsin. So this leaves Dahmer by himself and in the family home in Ohio, um, where things continue to escalate. And later, abandonment issues come into play, and he did say he felt abandoned at this time. Okay. What did the O say to the other O? Are you telling a joke in the middle of a Dahmer story? Damn, I'm lightening the mood. <laughs> what did the O say to the other O? I don't know. Ooh. <laughs> Good guess. Thank you. Ohio. Oh. Uh, you never heard that joke? That's I the state not. joke of Ohio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Clever. Thank Love you. it. Thank you. Dahmer committed his first murder three weeks after his high school graduation in 1978. He was only 18 years old at the time. So June 18th of 1978, he spotted a 19-year-old hitchhiker named Stephen Mark Hicks. Stephen was on his way to a rock concert in Ohio when Dahmer stopped to offer him a ride. According to Dahmer, the sight of Stephen standing on the side of the road without a shirt on stirred up sexual feelings deep down inside of him. Dahmer told Stephen that he had the house to himself and convinced him to come over to have a few beers before he took Stephen out to his concert. So during the car ride, Stephen started talking about girls. So Dahmer pretty much got the idea that he probably wasn't gay and wouldn't reciprocate any of the sexual advances that he might do towards Stephen. Mm-hmm. Once they got to his house in Bath, Ohio, they drank and listened to music and worked out. 
So after several hours, Stephen was ready to go to the concert, but Dahmer really did not want him to leave. So he decided in order to make him stay, he would hit him over the head with a 10-pound dumbbell two different times while Stephen was just sitting in a chair. Stephen became unconscious, and that's when Dahmer strangled him to death with the bar of the dumbbell. Okay, so Dahmer said he was, quote, out of his mind with fear that night and paced the entire house. He actually took off Stephen's clothes and masturbated as he stood above the corpse. Hate that. Hate yeah, that. Lots of ick. He claims that the shiny lining of the viscera in the muscles is actually what he was attracted to. And it turns out there's actually some weird science behind that. Like men or people are attracted to shiny things and they say that that's probably one aspect of why he's drawn to that like in nature <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, like glitter you know, like like no like i'm thinking like animals oh yeah yeah like but like even outfits like um okay sequence. lingerie thank you by yes yes so i think we probably watch the same documentary yes. people he whoever it was said that people are attracted to things that shine like silks mm-hmm. or shimmery fabrics and that's in innately inside your brain what turns you on like yeah. ingrained in you okay yes. yeah so like instead of fabric he was attracted to the shiny viscera in mm, the muscle I hate that um i missed it apparently or forgotten about it where what has he done that now he's seeing viscera i'm about to get to that okay so the next day he dissected steven's body with a hunting knife in the basement and buried the remains in the backyard Weeks later, he dug the body parts back up, cut the flesh off the bones, and dissolved it in acid. And then he flushed the solution down the toilet. In his recordings with detectives, he said that he, quote, scooped the belly open, cut each piece, bagged each piece. I didn't know much about the anatomy or how to dispose of it, but it became sexually exciting to me. He also crushed the bones with a sledgehammer and scattered the remains in the woods near his home. He claimed that he tried to live a normal life after this and bury his feelings, but this was pretty much the night that changed everything for him. Six weeks after the murder of Stephen Hicks, Dahmer's father and his fiance showed up at the house where Jeffrey had been living alone. Jeffrey actually ended up going to Ohio State University for one semester. However, he continued to struggle with alcohol. And alcohol really seems to be a big player, a common theme in his life. Uh, his GPA at Ohio State peaked at 0.45. Jeez. That was the peak? That was his peak. His only successful class was in riflery. Oh, okay. That's reassuring. Right. And also ironic because he never shot yeah, people. I know. Yeah, okay. he did not. He uh, actually ended up dropping out after only three months. So January 1979, he enlisted in the U.S. Army after his father basically told him to get his shit together. Yeah. So in the army, he was trained as a medical specialist. During his training, he got in trouble several times for his drinking again. Mm -hmm. And one of these times resulted in the entire platoon being punished for his insubordination, which got him an ass whooping from the other recruits. I can imagine. He was not well loved. Yeah. On July 13th, 1979, he was deployed to Baumholder, West Germany, where he served as a combat medic. His struggle with alcohol continued, and in March of 1981, he was honorably discharged from the Army. Okay. 
So after he was discharged, he was given a plane ticket and told that he could pretty much go wherever he needed to in the country. Like, you can't stay here. You need to leave. (laughs) You have to go home, but you can't stay here. Exactly. He was like, I'm not ready to face my dad because I've messed up so many times. So he chose to go to Miami Beach, Florida, which I didn't include this in my story. But I did hear in the documentary that there were some cases, and you may touch on this, so I don't want to talk about it too much. There were some cases in Florida that were unsolved during the time when he Florida. was down there. So I included that little piece, but yeah. nobody really knows. You can talk about that because I didn't that's, talk about That's it. really all it is. They okay. had some unsolved cases in Florida during the time that he was down there. Okay. So while he was in Florida, he got a job working at a deli and rented a room at a motel. Really was just hanging on by a thread here. Most of his money was spent on alcohol and he was eventually kicked out of the hotel for not paying. In September of 1981... He called his dad and said, can I come home, please? Yes, I'm out of money. I need beer money. Basically. Once he was back in Ohio, he lived with his father and stepmother for a short time. The drinking continued, and obviously there's a theme. And two Mm -hmm. weeks after he got back, he was arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct. He was given a fine of $60 and a 10-day suspended jail sentence, which I looked up, and I guess it's like probation period, but he doesn't actually go to jail. This is one of the few times I feel like I have some empathy for him because to be drinking that heavily at how young he is. Yeah, I mean, he's he got a lot of really early. There's just one thing wrong there. after the other yeah. with him, honestly. Like the dominoes just fell in the wrong direction for him. So his father, he really tried to get him to stop drinking. And if you watched this documentary, what was it called? Um, Mind of a Monster or something. We'll, we'll tag it somewhere. Um, it's on Discovery Plus. It was excellent. It had a lot of interviews, including one with his father. And oh, my God, it is heart wrenching. Yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer, Mind of a Monster. How about that? On Discovery Plus? Discovery Plus. Yeah. It's one of two Dahmer documentaries. But yeah. this one was particular heart- particularly heartbreaking because his dad just breaks down and cries. Oh. But honestly, his dad tried so hard. He did. Yeah. So that's what I'm, I'm kind of touching on now. He tried to get him to stop drinking. Um, so at this point in his life, he thought maybe the best idea might be for Jeffrey to go live with grandma in West Dallas, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. According to Jeff, his grandma was, quote, the perfect grandma. And she was pretty much the only one who showed him much affection at all. Everyone was pretty hopeful that a change in scenery along with love and affection from grandma would put Jeff on the right path. And in the beginning, things were going pretty great. He helped around the house, went to church with grandma, and eventually found a job working as a phlebotomist at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center. He worked here for about 10 months before being laid off. Mm. On August 8th, 1982, Jeff was at the Wisconsin State Fair Park and decided he'd um, go ahead and expose himself to approximately 25 people, including women and children. And he was convicted and fined $50. That's it. Yes. Also interesting, besides being only charged $50, is that he exposed himself to women and children. Right. Which doesn't seem to be his type. I think there was a group of people, but they went ahead and made it a point to say that there were children in the group. I don't know. And maybe, there, but maybe things are different now, but like nowadays you'd be a sex offender for that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think as you listen on, you'll start to see another theme where Jeff really slipped through the cracks, not just in his personal life, several but like times. through the cops fingers several times. So it's frustrating. Yeah. Um, 
January 1985, Jeff gets a job working as a mixer at the Milwaukee Ambrosia Chocolate Factory, working the night shift six nights per week. Around the same time he was hired at this new job, he had an incident happen at the West Allis Public Library, where he was sitting at a table reading when a stranger tossed him a note and walked away. Apparently, the note offered to perform fellatio. No, not the note. The person on the note. (laughs) What? (laughs) I should clarify that the person on the note said that they would perform fellatio on him. He didn't respond, but it did stir up some deep fantasies of control and dominance that he'd been trying to hide. Say He's been repressing this for a while. Yes, for several years. Uh, He began to start making appearances after that. Um, at the local gay bars, at bathhouses, and bookstores. Bookstores. <laughs> That's what they said. He it's nothing sacred. He called it porn shops. Oh, okay. So he was into a particular kind of book. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. The kind you're not into. <laughs> well, kind later you can't get on Libby. I don't think <laughs> later I talk about it that he picked up one of the victims at a bookstore, and I was like, "It's nothing sacred. No, a bookstore. It's not." He also took a male mannequin from a department store. Creepy. Um, and he did this by hiding in the department store until it closed and then put it in a sleeping bag and took it back to grandma's house. Okay. So he claimed that he thought that the mannequin would fulfill his needs without him having to hurt somebody again. Mm. So that's why he took it back. Okay. Um, he would use the mannequin for sexual stimulation or sometimes just to snuggle. And it oh. turns out that's really what he wanted to do. You say snuggle when talking snuggle. about Dumber. That is what he wanted. Honestly, he just wanted to snuggle. He He wanted like affection. And it's so sad. It is. That's why I think people have like empathy towards him Mm -hmm. because there's that like child. He just wanted like human contact. Yeah. Later, his infatuation with the mannequin was described as oh boy, here we go. Pygmalionism, which is a sexual responsiveness towards a statue or other representation, especially when of one's own thinking. Okay. Well, unfortunately for Jeff, Grandma found the mannequin and said, absolutely not. And that was the end of the mannequin. I mean, I would also be like, I don't like mannequins in my house. This is creepy. Yes. 1985, he began going to the bathhouses more often. And he said that he would become frustrated with his sexual partners because of all their movement during sex. Must lay there. Yes. And not do anything. That's exactly right. That's what he wanted. He said, quote, I want to dominate. Yes. I trained myself to view people as objects of pleasure instead of people. Mm. June 1986, he began administering sleeping pills called Halcyon to his partners by lacing their drinks with the sedative. Then he would wait until they fell asleep before performing various sexual acts on them. In interviews with detectives later on, he said that he'd drug his victims with five pills and they'd be unconscious for four hours. I will say Halcyon, it's a uh, central nervous system depressant tranquilizer, so it's used for like severe, severe insomnia Right. as a sedative. After approximately 12 instances of him drugging his partner at the bathhouses and then leaving them in the room, the bathhouse administration, apparently there is one, revoked his membership. Sure. So (laughs) people keep falling asleep on you. That's not good. Uh, And he's just like leaving them all passed out in the room. Yeah. He's like roofing them. Basically. basically. Yeah. So Jeff moved on to hotel rooms to continue his routine. So you might wonder how he kept getting so many sedatives. And it seems like it was actually pretty easy for him since he worked the night shift. Mm, He just told the doctors he needed sleeping pills to help with his messed up sleep schedule. And they were like, sure. What works? I mean, Jeff pretty much got his way all the time. 
So around the time when all this was happening with the bathhouse, Jeff came across an obituary in the newspaper about an 18-year-old man. Jeff thought he was beautiful and decided he'd like to steal the corpse and bring it home with him Mm. to Grandma's house. No, thank you. He actually attempted to dig up the coffin, but the ground was too hard and he couldn't get it out of the ground. Okay. Probably a good thing. On September 8th, 1986, Jeff was arrested after masturbating in front of two 12-year-old boys near the Kinnick River. Sorry if I messed that name up. At first he said he was just urinating, but didn't realize that there were other witnesses, so he eventually fessed up to the crime. He was charged with disorderly conduct and on March 19th, 1987, was sentenced to a year of probation and instructed to go to counseling. So that was March 1987. We're going to fast forward a couple months to November 20th of 1987. And this is where the murders start up again. And again, I know we threw up a trigger warning. It's going to get real graphic here for me. So Stephen Toomey was his next victim. Dahmer was living, like Sarah said, with his grandma in West Allis at this point. And came upon a 25-year-old man named Stephen Toomey at a bar and persuaded him to come back with him to the Ambassador Hotel in Milwaukee. So Dahmer had already rented a room there for the night, and he later said that he had no intention of killing Stephen. He just wanted to drug him and lie beside him. So I'll let you... Snuggle. (laughs) Snuggle. Mm -hmm. Have sex with his unconscious body. One of the two. One of the two. Who knows? Both not great. No intention of killing him. Sure. Which, as you you said, he wasn't really... I mean, he had killed, but at this point, he was just simply sedating people and doing things to them. So Dahmer woke up the next morning in the hotel and said that Stephen was lying underneath him with his chest crushed in and was covered in bruises and was black and blue. Uh, There was blood coming out of the corner of his mouth and Dahmer's fists were very bruised as well. He claimed that he had no memory of killing Stephen and said later that he could not believe that this had happened. Um, And later, when we get to, you know, the confessions and all of this, he still, to that day, said he did not remember what happened. Didn't he say he accidentally drank part of his drink, too? And that's maybe why he didn't remember it. Mm -hmm. So to dispose of the body, he purchased a large suitcase and transported the body back to his grandma's house. Poor Poor grandma. grandma. (laughs) Like, throughout my whole section, I'm just like, gosh, this grandma. She's just got to be the nicest grandma in the world. Ay, ay, ay. So a week later, he waited a week, and then he severed the head, the arms, and the legs from the torso, and then filleted the bones from the body and cut the flesh into small pieces. He placed the flesh inside plastic garbage bags and wrapped the bones in a sheet and pounded them into tiny pieces with a sledgehammer, which took him about two hours total to complete. He disposed of everything in the trash. And then for two weeks after the murder, he kept Stephen's head wrapped in a blanket and then boiled it and bleached it. So his plan originally was to masturbate with the skull, but it was too brittle because of all the bleaching that he had done, so he had to dispose of it. So again, he pulverized it first, just like he did with the bones. And to this day, no remains have ever been found of Stephen. So after Stephen, Dahmer then, like, these serial killer tendencies awoke, and he began to actively seek out victims. Um, So he found most of them in gay bars, and he would lure them back to freaking grandma's house. He would drug them with two drugs. Um, He was a fan of temazepam, which is also Restoril, which is a benzo that's used for insomnia, or like you said, Halcyon, which is that sedative. Um, And he would use this either before or after engaging in sex, depending on the victim. Got it. Once they were unconscious, he would then strangle them. And that was primarily his mode of killing was strangulation. All right. So we're just going to go basically victim by victim at this point. So James Dockstitter, um, he was... Dahmer met with him on 
January 16th of 1988. He was 14 years old, and he was a Native American male prostitute. Uh, Dahmer lured him to his home with an offer of $50 to pose nude for him. They began to have sex before Dahmer drugged him and strangled him on the cellar floor. Dahmer then left the body in the cellar for one week before dismembering it, much like he had with Stephen. So placed all of the remains in the garbage bag except for the skull, because he had a thing for skulls. And then he pulverized it. The skull was boiled and bleached, but it was still too brittle to be used. So he again pulverized it two weeks later. And again, to this day, no remains have ever been found of James. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, Richard Guerrero. So March 24th, 1988, Dahmer meets Richard Guerrero, and he is a 22-year-old man. They met outside a gay bar, and Dahmer took Richard back to his grandma's house with the offer of $50 to spend time with him. And I've noticed this is a theme. Mm-hmm. $50 is his theme. Yeah. So then he drugged Richard with sleeping pills and strangled him with a leather strap. He performed oral sex on the corpse after he had died and then dismembered the body within 24 hours of disposing of it, much the same way as he has been. Um, he kept the skull for several months here, but did eventually dispose of it. And again, to this day, no remains have ever been found. So I'm just going to kind of go timeline by timeline at this point. So that was March 24th, and you can kind of see how he escalates here. So April 23rd, not even a month later, uh, Dahmer lures another young man and gave him a drugged coffee. But they were interrupted because Grandma said, is that you, Jeff? And Dahmer answered her, but he like answered her in a way that made it seem like he was alone trying to get rid of Grandma. But Grandma had already seen this other young man. So because of this, he didn't kill the young man as he had intended to and took him to the hospital once he fell unconscious and dropped him off. So he got away. He got away. So September 1988, Grandma says, listen, Dahmer, you got to move out. He was drinking heavily, which if you've been paying attention at all this episode, you know is a theme. Um, Mm -hmm. She did not like all the young men that he kept bringing home and said that there was foul smells coming from the basement in his room. She was correct. His his dad was kind of the driving force because it's his dad's mom. Mm -hmm. And he felt like she wasn't ready for all of the different ways that Jeffrey was living his life. Yeah. Um, she's kind of old fashioned and she, he, Lionel thought that this was kind of hard on her. And so mm-hmm. he told Jeffrey Dahmer that, uh, it's, you gotta, you gotta, gotta get you out gotta of Grandma's get house. Yep. Yeah. She can't handle this anymore. So that was September. Um, and September 25th, he moved to an apartment at 808 North 24th street. And two days later, he was arrested for drugging and sexually fondling a 13 year old boy who he had lured to his home to pose nude. He gets an attorney named Gerald Boyle. I said that weird. I'm so sorry. Gerbil. I did. Gerbil. I said that weird. Because I was like looking at you taking your drink and I took my eyes off. It was weird. Gerbil. So Lionel, the father, he gets an attorney. Lionel. Am I saying that weird? Yes. Not yes. weird. Just you. Is my accent coming out? Blur. I've, I've heard it a couple times. Okay. Hold on. Oh, I like it. So Lionel gets an attorney named Gerald Boyle. <laughs> God damn it! I feel like that was on purpose. <laughs> I tried. I really tried. Repeat after me, Lionel. Lionel. No, Lionel. Lionel. Yes. There you go. You don't say the Lionel. Lionel. Okay, so Lionel. Yes. He um gets an attorney named Gerald Boyle, and Boyle is like, "Hey, let's get some psyche valves. Let's see what's going on in that big brain of his." 
The first psyche vow revealed that, shocker, Dahmer had deep feelings of alienation from mm. others. Sure. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just wanted to snuggle. I mean, he was alienated. <laughs> he was. By several people. Right? I'm sure he did have deep Including feelings. his mother. So, yeah. Um, a second psychiatric evaluation revealed that he was impulsive, mm-hmm. suspicious of others, and dismayed by his own lack of accomplishments in his life. Okay. Which is kind of sad to me. Um, his PO at that time also referred back to a diagnosis that he had of schizoid personality disorder, and that was diagnosed back in 1987, so the year before this. Um, and this is a pretty rare personality disorder. It is not like schizophrenia, even though it sounds like it. So it's a personality disorder that's basically characterized by lack of interest in social relationships, um, isolation, emotional coldness, apathy, detachment, things like that. And it was called what again? Schizoid personality disorder. That sounds spot on for him. It does. Mm -hmm. And it is pretty rare. It's more prevalent in males than females, but it's only about like a 1% prevalence rate in the U.S. Does it have like a genetic component or is it environmental? Mainly so with personality disorders, a lot of them are environmental. So his is, I mean... A lot of times, schizoid personality disorder kind of gets confused with being on the autism spectrum because there's a lot of that social that. Yeah. isolation, detached from okay. personal relationships, has no interest in seeking out these relationships kind of things. So this is all happening, like I said, in September of 1988. So we're going to fast forward a little bit to January. So January 30th of 1989, Dahmer pled guilty to second-degree sexual assault and enticing a child for immoral purposes. March 20th, he moves back to grandma's. No, not grandma's. So he's out at this point because he pled guilty in January, but sentencing wasn't set for May. So during that time, he was just allowed out and free. Which, so, that seems problematic in it and of its own, but... It does. So he moves back to Grandma's March 20th, and March 25th, 1989, almost a year later to the day, he kills again. And this is um, victim number five, and this is Anthony Sears. So Anthony was a 24-year-old aspiring male model who met Dahmer at a gay bar. Um, Dahmer said that he was not, like, hunting, to put it for a better word, that night, but that Anthony approached him, so he took him back to Grandma's. Um, They had oral sex, and then Dahmer drugged and strangled him. In the morning, he put the body in the tub and decapitated Anthony, and then tried to flay the corpse. Um, Again, he pulverized the bones and stripped the flesh. Later, he said that Anthony was, quote, exceptionally attractive, end quote, and the first victim that he kept body parts of. So he kept his head and his genitalia in acetone and put them in a box and kept it in his work locker. At the chocolate factory? (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. That's where he was. Um, And later, his skull and genitalia was found in the house when police finally investigated the house. All right. So that was March 25th. Sorry. March 25th. So May 23rd um, is his sentencing day, finally, and he gets one year in House of Corrections with a work release, so that way he could still keep his job and work, and then five years of probation after that year is completed, and then had to register as a sex offender. He's doing the work camp. He actually got released two months early because good behavior, I'm assuming, Um, and he was paroled, and his probation began at that point, and he moved back to grandma's again. 
So it is now May 1990. So like I said, it's a year later because he was in that House of Corrections program. So May 14th, 1990. Grandma says, hey, you need to move out again. Yeah. I'm for real this time. (laughs) For real. (laughs) So he moves to an apartment at 924 North 25th Street, um, a.k.a. apartment 213. And this is where he kills 12 men. The majority of his victims the Oxford Apartments. Oxford Apartments. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So within a week of moving and being released, he claims his sixth victim. So May 20th, 1990, Raymond Smith. He was a 32-year-old male sex worker who was offered $50 for sex from Dahmer. He followed Dahmer back to his apartment, and inside, Dahmer gave Raymond a drink that was laced with seven sleeping pills and then manually strangled him. So this is kind of interesting, too, because this is the first time that it's noted that he strangled him with his own hands instead mm-hmm. of using a leather strap, a belt, something. An object. Yeah. Yeah. So the next day, he purchased a Polaroid camera and took pictures of Raymond's bodies in suggestive poses and then dismembered him in the bathroom. He started doing something different. So he still cut off the legs and the arms and boiled them with the pelvis in a steel kettle with soylex and then rinsed the bones in his sink. He dissolved the rest except for the skull. He did keep the skull and he spray painted it and put it with Anthony's to keep as a collection. Okay. A week later, he strikes again on May 27th. So this is where Dahmer tried to kidnap a person and accidentally drank the wrong drink Mm, okay so Dahmer woke up the next day and the intended victim was gone and had stolen his watch and clothes and three hundred dollars so that was may 27th june 14th Dahmer lures 27 year old edward smith to his apartment they were acquaintances Um, Once Edward came to his apartment, he drugged and strangled him he decided to try something different here as well so he placed his skeleton in his freezer for several months and he hoped that it would retain moisture so that the bones would not be too brittle like they had been before but he accidentally destroyed the skull when he placed it in the oven to dry and the skull basically exploded in the oven there's a lot of thought going into this process and it's like gross because he's like escalating and oh yeah thinking lots of experimentation like trial and error but like on a terrible scale exactly Um, later Dahmer said that he felt, quote, rotten about Edward's murder. 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 (laughs) Dahmer. (laughs) He later said that he felt, quote, rotten about Edward's murder because he had been unable to retain any parts of his body. Mm. That's why he felt rotten. That's why he felt rotten. Okay. Okay. Because he couldn't keep anything. Because he destroyed the skull. I mean, that really puts things in perspective. Gosh, just makes him feel uh, rotten. His way of thought, yeah. Um, Dahmer also said, quote, it was my way of remembering their appearance, their physical beauty. I also wanted to keep. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I at least could keep their skeletons. Definitely was looking for that affection again, looking for somebody to love him. Mm-hmm. And he thought th- was pretty. To this day, there have been no remains ever found of Edward Smith. Aw, so September 2nd, 1990, less than three months later, he meets Chicago native Ernest Miller, age 22. He met him outside a bookstore. Oh, here we go. And not this is where bookstore. I said, it's nowhere safe. No, it's not. 
Um, he agreed to go with Dahmer to his apartment for $50 and further agreed to allow him to listen to his heart and stomach. But when Dahmer tried to perform oral sex on him, Ernest said, that'll cost you extra. So Dahmer then gave him a drink laced with two sleeping pills. And he only had two sleeping pills on him at that point, And it wasn't enough. So he had to kill Ernest quickly. And this is the only time he deviated from his um, mode of killing by slashing his carotid ar- artery with the same knife that he used to dissect the bodies. Um, and Edward, or I'm sorry, and Ernest bled to death within minutes. So Dahmer then posed the nude body for suggested pictures with his Polaroid again. Um, and he placed the body in the tub for dismemberment. He admitted that he repeatedly kissed and talked to the severed head while he was dismembering the body. Okay. Okay, so he wrapped the heart and the biceps and other portions of the flesh from the legs in plastic bags and placed them in the fridge later for eating. Mm. He boiled the remaining flesh and organs into a jelly-like substance using Soylex. Um, which enabled him to rinse the flesh off of the skeleton, which he then placed the bones in a light bleach solution for 24 hours before allowing them to dry upon a cloth for a week. The severed head was again placed in the fridge before stripped of its flesh and painted and coated with enamel. So that was September 2nd, September 24th, which is normally (laughs) a great day. Yes, it is. And this was my first birthday. (laughs) (laughs) September 24th, 1990. (laughs) So David Thomas, Dahmer meets him at the Grand Avenue Mall. David was 22 years old and a father of two. Dahmer persuaded him to return to his apartment for some drinks and offered him $50 to pose for pictures. $50. (laughs) But back in like the 80s and 90s. Yeah, that's true. That's a lot more than it is now. That's true. Especially if... You're down on your luck. Mm-hmm. You got kids. Yes. So in a statement to police later, Dahmer said that after he gave Thomas a drink with sedatives, he wasn't feeling it, wasn't feeling him, but he was afraid that if he allowed him to wake up, then he would be angry with him for drugging him. I think that's an accurate <sighs> assumption. Sure. <Yeah. laughs> so he strangled him um, and dismembered him and did not keep any body parts whatsoever. He did photograph the dismemberment process, though, and kept those, which is the only way that police were able to identify Thomas's body. Hmm. Because, again, no remains were ever found. So following this murder, Dahmer, he he didn't kill for about five months. Um, He did unsuccessfully attempt to lure multiple men to his apartment. They said at least five different times between these months, but was unsuccessful for various reasons. During this time, he did complain to his PO regularly about anxiety and depression. He uh, referred to his sexuality and problems with it and financial difficulties and also voiced having suicidal thoughts regularly. Okay. They must have handled those things differently. Yes, they must have. All right. So, like I said, that was September. We're going to fast forward to February 18th, 1991. Uh, Dahmer found Curtis Strouder. He was a 17-year-old male standing at a bus stop near Marquette University. Dahmer lured him to his apartment with an offer of money for posing for nude photos um, with the added incentive of sex. Dahmer drugged him, cuffed his hands behind his back, and strangled him to death with a leather strap. He then dismembered him and, much in the same way as he has been doing, kept his skull and his hands and his genitalia and photographed each step of this process. 
April 7th, 1991. Errol Lindsay, 19 years old. Uh, Dahmer lured him to his apartment to get a key cut. So Errol was heterosexual, and Dahmer realized that things were not going to go how they typically go with his victims. So he drugged him and, again, starts to deviate. He drilled a hole in his skull and poured hydrochloric acid into it. Errol actually woke up after this and said, quote, I have a headache. What time is it? Oh, that's really sad. So Dahmer said later that he thought that the acid would put his victims in a permanent, submissive, sedated state. Like a zombie. Like a zombie. Um, So when he woke up, he drugged him again and then strangled him and decapitated him, keeping his skull. He also flayed his body, placed the skin in cold water and salt for several weeks, but had to dispose of it eventually because it became too frayed and brittle. Hmm. So now the residents of the apartment are complaining to the management about the foul smells that are coming from his apartment. I bet they were. He also complained about the sounds of a chainsaw Hmm. coming from his apartment. (laughs) He's just snoring. (laughs) They had the manager would go and talk to Dahmer several different times. And Dahmer said, oh, the odor, my freezer broke. That's just all the rotten meat. Um, it got spoiled. He said that he had tropical fish that died. I mean, he had an excuse for everything. And they, listen, how bad does a dead body have to smell for weeks that he would keep these bodies? I can only imagine. It's not a fish. (laughs) It's not a building smelled like from two tropical fish. Yeah, I don't think so. May 24th, Dahmer finds a 31-year-old aspiring model, Tony Hughes, at a nightclub and again lures him by offering money for pictures. Um, Tony was deaf, so they actually communicated only through writing notes back and forth to each other. He gets him back to his apartment, Dahmer drugs him, and again injected hydrochloric acid into his skull in an effort to make him submissive. However, this time it was too much and it killed him immediately. Dahmer kept his skull... And uh, Tony was later identified through dental records. May 26, two days later. This is the toughest case for me. So it was a 14-year-old teenager named Conorak Synthemisivan. And unknowing to Dahmer at the time, this was the younger brother of the boy that he had molested back in 1988. How crazy is that? Crazy coincidence. And this poor family. Horrible. So Dahmer approaches him and asked him again to pose for money, blah, blah, blah. That's his MO. Um, The teen was reluctant at first, but changed his mind and followed him. He posed for two pictures in his underwear before Dahmer drugged him and performed oral sex on him. Before he became unconscious, Dahmer led him to the bedroom where, you know, like I said, this is May 26, two days before that he killed Tony. Tony Hughes was still lying naked on the floor in his room. Dahmer said he, quote, believed that Conrad saw this body but didn't react, likely because he was already sedated. Um, So Dahmer drilled a hole into the crown of his skull and again injected the hydrochloric acid into the frontal lobe. Dahmer drank several beers while lying next to him, waiting for the hydrochloric acid to take effect and eventually fell asleep because he was so drunk. He woke up, left, went to go drink at a bar and drank more alcohol. In the early hours of May 27th, he returned to his apartment and found that Conorak was sitting naked on the corner of 25th and State with three young women near him who were very distressed. 
So Dharma approaches them, tells them, oh, this is my friend. I know who he is, and tries to get him back to the apartment, leading him by his arm. But the women stopped him and said that they had already called 911 and they were waiting for police. Two police officers do arrive, John Balserzak and Joseph Gabrish. Dahmer was pretty relaxed with the officers and told him that this was his 19-year-old boyfriend, not 14 years old, who had just had too much to drink. Um, the women tried to talk to the cops repeatedly and said, look, something's wrong. He's got blood on his testicles. He's bleeding from his rectum. Conrad was with it enough to struggle against Dahmer when Dahmer tried to walk him back to his apartment. So they were like, something's wrong. And the officers told her repeatedly, quote, butt out and shut the hell up. So at this point, police did call Milwaukee Fire Department to examine him for injuries. One, only one of the fire department thought that he needed treatment at a hospital, but the police told them, we got this, go ahead and leave. That should be more than enough to have one person. Yep. To have one EMS. Yes. So EMS left. Um, Shortly after the officer's... Another officer, Richard Perubkin, arrives on scene, and they take Dahmer and Conrack back to the apartment where, you know, like we said earlier, there's a dead body lying in the bedroom. FYI. So Dahmer showed the police officers the nude pictures they had taken earlier to show that they were lovers, that they knew each other. One of the police officers said he didn't smell anything odd, but another one said that he did smell a very odd scent, like fecal matter in the apartment. Um, So Dahmer said that one officer peeked his head around the bedroom, but really didn't take a good look. So they left and told Dahmer, quote, take good care of him. And the incident was listed as a domestic dispute. Um, So the officers leave. Dahmer again injects hydrochloric acid into his brain and this killed him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're all absolutely horrible, but that one just really... That was a terrible infuriating. one. It's so infuriating. That's a miss. Absolutely, it is. A huge miss because like all of the killings that happened after this could have been prevented because there yeah. was literally a dead body in that apartment. A dead body and they basically handed him this uh-huh. child and was like, this is not right. So many red flags. And they took him back. Ignored. Yeah. There was a dead body in the bedroom on the floor, and one of the police officers peeked his head inside the bedroom and didn't see it or smell it. Conorak was 14. Yeah. 14. And the women knew that he was not he was not old enough Mm-mm. to be doing any of that. In fact, one of them, she said she was 17 at the time, and she was like, and I knew he was younger than I was. Yeah. And they still didn't believe me. And it was obvious that he was a child. Or that EMS who said, he needs medical attention, something's wrong. Yeah, Absolutely. I feel like nowadays if somebody is not able to say their name or anything like that and they have obvious injuries that they're going to be brought in. Right. Whether they like it or not. Police don't get the final say on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's. mm. So that's probably the most heartbreaking case. And that was May 26th. Um, May 28th, the next day, because this kind of happened in the early morning hours of May 27th. Yeah. So May 28th, the next day, Dahmer takes off from work because he's got two bodies to dismember and... Can't make chocolate. Jeez. So a month later, June 30th, Dahmer travels to Chicago and finds Matt Turner, who's age 20. Um, Matt Turner accepted Dahmer's offer to travel to Milwaukee for a photo shoot with him at his apartment. Dahmer drugs, strangles, and dismembers him, placed his head and internal organs in separate plastic bags in his freezer... The unfortunate case with Matt is that he was never reported as missing. 
So his torso was also placed at this point. Dahmer has a 57-gallon drum barrel in his room, and he placed the torso in there with acid. Five days later, on July 5th, Dahmer lures 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger from a Chicago bar to his apartment. He again drugged him and injected boiling water this time through his skull, um, mm. which sent Jeremiah into a coma, and he died two days later. And I can just boiled his brain basically. He boiled his brain. Yeah. And I can just imagine what Dahmer did to his body for those two days he was in a coma. Yep. Dahmer kept his body for about a week in his bathtub and then dismembered it and put his torso in the drum with Matt Turner's. July 15th, 24 year old Oliver Lacey meets Dahmer at the corner of 27th and Kilbourne. Dahmer asked him to pose nude for pictures. Um, The two engaged in sex before Dahmer drugged him. He tried to keep him alive by knocking him out with chloroform, but obviously did not keep him alive. Mm-hmm. At this point, Dahmer was also suspended from work because he kept calling in sick. Um, he strangled Oliver and had sex with his corpse before dismembering it. He kept his head, his heart in the fridge, and his skeleton in the freezer. A few days later, on July 19th, Dahmer gets fired from his job. And to cope with that, he lures 25-year-old Joseph Bradhoff to his apartment. Um, He strangled him and drugged him, or drugged him and strangled him, and left him lying on his bed, covered with a sheet for two days. And Joseph was a father of three who was out on his luck and looking for work in Milwaukee. July 21st, two days later, uh, Dahmer removes the sheets and finds that the head is covered in maggots, of course. So he decapitates the body, uh, cleans the head, places it in his fridge, and then put the torso in the barrel to with acid along with the other two victims. So he has got three torsos in that barrel that's literally just in the corner of his bedroom. Gross. It's really no, gross. I saw pictures of that apartment. It's not very big. Neither mm-hmm. are the appliances. Mm-mm. I don't know where he had room for anything. So that is kind of where we're going to stop this episode with the murders and... We're going to get into more of how he got caught, his trial, investigation, all that good stuff. The justice. In part two. In part two. Um, Again, I know that was heavy, guys. It's a lot. I'm ready for a shot. (laughs) I'm ready for a shot as well after that. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week to part one of our Jeffrey Dahmer episode. You can always find us at thetipsyghost.com with our socials linked from there or send us an email at thetipsyghost at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star rating and a great review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it, and it really does help. All right, guys. Thanks so much. We will catch you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.